Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. It is a tough segue after just a minute ago standing up here talking about all those congregations in the Ukraine. And I do hope that we will get a burden from the Lord, not an inordinate burden, but a burden from the Lord to realize that as a community, we are part of something much greater than ourselves. Some have called it theologically uh, in Christianity, the mystical body of Christ, the mystical body of Yeshua, of the Messiah. And yet, as believers, we do tend, no matter where we're at, we do tend to focus on several things. And one of them happens to be the Word of God. Are there any lovers of the Word of God here today? <laughs> Good. I am glad to be in your company here because I am among you as one that loves the Word of God. And for many years now, it's turned to be quite a few decades, have been studying the Word. And I can tell you that I've come to a semi-conclusion about studying the Word. That semi-conclusion <laughs> is that the more you study the Word of God, the more you realize, at least I, I can speak for me, the more I realize I need to keep studying the Word of God that the depth of God's Word is really beyond our description. It's an eternal matter, but it's also matter that pierces through to our hearts when we read the Word of God. And I hope the times that you have read the Word of God, that you've actually taken time away from television and computers and everything else and just sat there with God's Word. And I highly recommend using a book an actual book for your own benefit, I say that. But you spend time looking at God's Word and have had it speak to you. And, and you know what I'm talking about. I don't mean like there suddenly the page, just the mouth starts talking out of the page. I'm talking about where the intent, the purpose, the teaching that was in the Word that you were reading actually spoke to your heart. We have a description for that. It's called the living Word of God that his word is alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's life-changing. When we think about the Torah, which is one way to express the first five books of the Bible, when we think about it, and if I was to ask you which passage do you come to your mind, your mind from the Torah, uh, there'd probably be many different answers, but I'd like to share with you one that comes to my mind from the Torah, and I'm sure it's familiar to you. It's from Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. 
And in some ways, this is a starting point. Although Avram is mentioned in chapter 11 of Sefer Bereshit, uh, we, we really get a connection with Avram. At this time, he's not even called Avram. He's called Avram. And it says in verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Lech lecha me'artsecha, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a goy gadol, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. In verse 3, Often repeated, uh, here, you hear this verse all over the world, wherever there are individuals that have some kind of a heart love for Israel and the Jewish people, they usually will somehow trickle back to this concept because it was a God-ordained or God-given concept. He said, I will bless those who bless you. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Abraham. And by inference, his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will bless those who bless you. And you know, the next part is actually in the Bible. It says, and I will curse him who curses you. And that brings us to the final statement in verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this passage can be applied in so many different ways and, and really connects with many different topics that are of, of interest. But I want to mention one idea here or one concept connected to this passage that perhaps is not often spoken about. This passage, these first three verses of Sefer Bereshit chapter 12, addresses four building blocks of human existence. They are the individual, God's speaking to Avram. Also, the family, and you all the families of the earth would be blessed. It's, he says, you're going to be a great nation, a goy gadol. And then, as I've already mentioned, it mentions the earth, the totality, totality of this orb that we live on, the earth. And it is right for us to be praying for the people in the Ukraine. It is right for us to be praying for those that are in Russia. It is right for us to be praying for those in Mexico, whoever, whichever nation the Lord places on your heart to intercede. And it's so important that we actually take some time to pray. How can we intercede if we don't take time to intercede? And instead, our prayer life becomes a bunch of scattershot. We're, we're doing something else. Oh, Lord, bless them. And then we're doing something else. Lord, bless them. Perhaps that's good, but I, I think there might be a better way. How many of you think there might be a better way than that to intercede and pray for people? And that's to find some time. Can I say it this way? Make some time for prayer. The individual the family, the nation, the earth. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, the Lord points something out to, out to Abraham. The fifth building block. The Lord points Abraham to another aspect of what we could call human existence even. 
He says, then Adonai brought Abraham outside and said, look now toward heaven. And count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to Avram, so shall your descendants be. This fifth element is that heaven, the cosmos as it's called in Greek. It's that realm, that the universe, which we so often refer in Judaism to, the Melech HaOlam, the eternal king, the, un- the king of the universe, as some translations say it. And Avram is pointed that way by God himself. So Avram initially is contacted with the idea of the individual, the family, the nation, and the earth, and then all existence, the heavens. That other element. And as we study scripture, and we look at scripture, we can connect scripture to usually more than one of these five elements virtually in every section of it. For example... God often mentions his sovereignty over the universe. Listen to this passage from Isaiah chapter 45, (laughs) verse 18. For thus says the Lord, notice the next statement, who created the heavens. The Lord who created the heavens. Now, let your mind ponder that if you can that he created the heavens recently, actually this week, there were some new, I want to call them photographs of the universe that were revealed by NASA. And they were incredible pictures. We can't even describe how far out these pictures looked. And can I say, the, can I use the colloquialism here? They are but a drop in the bucket of what God created. This universe beyond comparison, beyond description. And every time they seem to have categorized how many stars there are, how many galaxies there are, how many this or that. I hope they write in pencil because it has to be erased every time. Because it's well beyond. He says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God who formed the earth and made it? Now, my friends here today, he has been inviting you to his throne room. He has been calling you to spend time with him for your benefit and the benefit of others. This great creator who created the heavens, who formed the earth, who established it, as Isaiah continues and says, and he then created in vain. He's calling you to personal relationship. And what separates mankind from a holy God? Well, the answer is quite obvious. That's sinfulness. And it's him who made atonement for us, who provides the way, Yeshua being the way, the shed blood of Yeshua that we sang about and share his beautiful song. Isaiah 53, Yeshua. 
For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. Notice what he says. I am the Lord and there is no other. Why would we put anything else ahead of him? And I say we there. Why do we do that? And there are other passages that speak about the nations that are very riveting passages. Even as this passage in Isaiah speaks about the universe, the cosmos, the eternal place that God has made. How about this passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. The very words of our Messiah, Yeshua. Some of the final things he says that we have recorded He says this, when the Son of Man comes, how? In his glory. And all the holy malachim, the angels with him, (laughs) then he will sit on the throne of his glory. That day's coming. Carl led us today in the Shema as we face towards the east, towards Jerusalem, and eloquently expressed that that's where Yeshua is going to return to. Then he will sit on his throne of glory and notice verse 32 of Matthew 25 says, by the way, I have a question as we read it. How many nations? It says all the nations will be gathered before him. My friends, do you think it's important for us to pray for those who are in authority over us? It is. Whether you like the politics or not is irrelevant. Pray for those who are leading and making decisions that impact us. First Timothy chapter 2 exhorts us, actually commands us. It says to lift up, oh, I want men everywhere, men, to lift up holy hands. And yet sometimes we're afraid to do that. Too concerned what people might think how we might look, and so forth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. I've been mourning about what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. I've been mourning just thinking about nations here. The nations. God's going to have the final say on this on a national level. And all the nation will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And you can continue reading what it says afterwards. So as scripture sometimes talks about the great cosmos, the universe that God created, it sometimes talks about nations, and many other times it points out individuals as in the parasha. And also this week's Haftorah portion from Shmuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6. In the Haftorah portion this week, we encounter two individuals. There are more than two, but I want to point out two individuals. One is named David, David, and the other is Michal. And these two individuals, David 
and his wife Michal are mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Here's what it says, verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of Adonai Betruah with shouting, as it's translated, of kol shofar, and with the sound of the trumpets, translated trumpet, but you can hear, as I just pronounced the Hebrew, of kol shofar, that the actual word is shofar. Dean, do you have your shofar? Will you please do a kol shofar for us? Makes you want to clap. (laughs) So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of Adonai. How? Betruah with this loud shouting as it's translated. With the voice of not a trumpet like you would think. But that, the Hebrew word is the shofar. Brought it forward. Now as the ark of the Lord came into Ir David, the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Do you see the contrast between these two people? It has nothing to do with gender, by the way, because a male could have looked and still despised David. But she despised him in her heart. In that contrast with David praising God, he's praising God at least with all his might. He's leaping and he's whirling before the Lord. Previously said he had been dancing before the Lord. And yet there's Michal, who's looking down on him, not only looking down perhaps physically, but also from within herself. It says she despised him. Where? In her heart. Brothers and sisters, let me repeat a passage of scripture to you. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. I love that we repeat every Shabbat that we should love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our might, all our strength. So this contrast in this text, 2 Samuel chapter 6, between David and Michal, his wife, is quite obvious. How many of you agree? You can see a big difference there between these two. So the text continues in verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it, the Aaron that David had erected for it. And what does David do? Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he doesn't stop there. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, he distributed both the women and the men. Notice, made no difference. He distributed to everyone, as the English language text says, he distributed a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, 
and a cake of raisins. Sounds pretty good to me right now. It's getting towards lunch. <laughs> and here's this next phrase. So all the people departed everyone to his house. And I just want to ask you, no one else can see you except me, but what kind of look do you think they had on their face at that time? Would you please make the look of those who had some bread and some meat and some raisin cakes? How did they go forward? Here's how I think they went. Yeah. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I hope they also translated that into Todala Adonai. Thanks to the Lord for his provision. Does the Lord provide well for you? Do you offer him thanksgiving? Or are you a hoarder? Are you a hoarder? My, my, mine, mine, mine. Me, 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 me. I hope not. We see the heart of David who the scripture says he had a heart after God. What is he doing? He's worshiping God. He's praising God. He's actively involved with all that. He's giving unto the people. He's blessing them. That was his heart. And I believe it, that's the kind of heart that God saw in David that he said, he's a man after my heart. He chases after me. Because David's words and the actions that we read about him, they offer us a great glimpse into the very heart of that man. And your words and your actions, your level of generosity, your activity in the kingdom, they offer a great glimpse of you. And also mine do. David's worship was sacrificial. You know, he immediately began offering sacrifices. And he included, he desired to bless the people. It wasn't all about him. And the moment we think everything is about us, we missed the proverbial boat. He knew it wasn't all about him. He wanted to bless those that were connected to him, those that were involved in, can I use the term, the ministry, they wanted to bless them. And then also... He knew that God had been very generous to him. He was a shepherd boy that at one point probably had the cologne of sheep all over him. And God took him last, almost last among the brothers. Said, this is the one right here. This is the one. My friends, don't think God doesn't know you. And if you love him, he knows you very well. And you are precious to him. And he cares about you. And the issues of your life he cares about. He's not leaving you as an orphan. He sends his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit, to your life. To the situations that you face. And he noticed David's generosity first towards God and then towards others. He noticed that. Each of these traits sacrifice, blessing, generosity. When you think about it and, and you pull back from that a little bit, you look, look from a distance at those things, you realize these are godly traits. These are the traits of God. Does God sacrifice? He sent his only begotten son as a sacrifice, a korban for us. Does God bless us? Whom the Lord blesses is blessed. Is God generous to us beyond our understanding? Is he generous to us? He's not like the selfishness of man. That's not his trait. 
My friends here today, when you think about David and Michal, there's a great contrast. It's not the gender contrast, because anyone could have the heart of David or the heart of Michal. It's not that. But we know and we should be thankful that our God supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory in Messiah Yeshua. This text continues in chapter 6, verse 20. And I love this next phrase. Then David returned to bless his household. He returned to bless his household. He had just done all the things that we've already read about. And his desire, in fact, this this phrase seems to reveal the intention of his heart. He returned to bless his household. He wanted to go back to his household, which included Michal. And he returned to bless his household. And then we read in Michal, the daughter of Shaul, came out to meet David. She actually left to meet him. And she said, and I don't know the tone of this. I would like to have the recording of how she said this because your tone of voice can mean a lot, can it? If someone says, oh, I love you. And then the person says the same words, oh, I love you. How many think there's a difference between those two? (laughs) We don't know the tone of voice that Michal greeted David with. But she said these words that translated English from the Hebrew, how glorious was the king of Israel today. Sounds pretty good, but it seems to be mocking to me, especially based on the very next statement, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And again, if you weren't here for Purim, you missed some great acting. (laughs) I mean, across the board. And I was surprised. Some of you had no idea you could act like that. And it was a blessing. And this, I'd love to see this acted out. How did Michal speak to David? With a tender, nice, welcoming voice. Remember, David's intention was he returned to his household to bless his household. And he was greeted with, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David responds to Michal, and again, I'd love to have the original recording of this. How does he respond? He says, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. I'd love to have the original recording of that. (laughs) Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, suffers some consequences there. Now notice... Again, and I'm emphasizing this, David's hard intention, he went home to bless his household. That was was in his heart. But sadly, Michal, because of her own inner attitude, infringed upon that blessing. 
And as I'm saying here, and I want to repeat, it's not a gender thing. Anybody could do something like this. You or me could pour water on the fire of God, could turn a blessing into something that doesn't seem a blessing. And I think David was genuine in his desire to bless. How can I say that? Using the text, we realize what he had just been doing with the people around him. How much more did he want to bless his household? Sadly, this text never says that David came to that place where he could pronounce or be that blessing in his household. The text ends with Michal's suffering consequences but it never says David blessed his household. It said he had blessed everyone else, but he couldn't bless his household. And I think the text implies that they had quite an argument. There was quite a tete-a-tete back and forth between the two of them. My friends, be careful how you address your family members, your husband, your wife, your friends. Treat them well. Speak kindly to them. Desire as David did to bring blessing to them. And you might think, oh, they don't really deserve it. Look how they treat me. The Lord causes his reign to fall upon the just and the unjust. We're to speak blessing and not speak cursing to others. In our personal relationships that we have, and we have many, all of us do, whether it's in our families, among our friends, as I mentioned, even in our marriages, as we interact with the world around us, at the workplace. And I want to make a special emphasis because I believe Scripture warrants it upon our interactions with those who are members of the household of faith. We should seek to be a blessing in every way we can. Life is short and days are short. Be a blessing every way you can. And you'll see that God will continue to bless you too. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, it says it quite poignantly. Therefore, as we have opportunity, will you please say that word with me? As we have opportunity opportunity. Let's try that again. As we have opportunity. What's the next phrase? Let us do good to all. You know who's the ultimate judge in the matter? Hashem. Let us do good to all. And then I'm emphasizing this verse because of what it says next. Let's read it together especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 states, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not withhold good. Well, as I conclude here, The attitudes, the words, the ways of David and Michal were in quite stark contrast, at least in this section from the Haftarah portion. And we speak often of David, and we should. We speak often of him, 
So I want to mention in contrast to that, I want to speak just a little bit about Michal, his wife, the daughter of Shaul. And what a difference. Here's Michal, the daughter of Saul, King Saul. And who was King Saul's son? Jonathan. And what a contrast between these two vis-a-vis David. So I want to mention three traits that we see in Michal. I think that we should learn from these traits. They're important to us. Trait number one, to characterize, I would just say simply, she was judgmental, and I believe she was arrogant. As I emphasize, we don't really have the actual words or the, the, the way they were said, but it seems to ring that she was judgmental and she was arrogant. There can hardly be a more spiritually incapacitating duo than these two things, judgmentalism and arrogance. There's not a more discapacitating, how would you say, incapacitating duo than these two temperaments or traits or attitudes. And being unrighteous in judgment towards others can bring judgment upon ourselves. Do I have the right to say that? Yes, based on the words of Yeshua in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He says, judge not, lest ye be judged. For the judgment you mete out shall be returned to you. You want to be harsh and critical towards others, condemning? It's going to come back on you. We're to judge righteous judgment. We're not to deviate from the standards of the word of God. But I believe we're supposed to understand that it's only by God's grace that any of us can stand. This is, that's the grace in which we stand, as Keith, Green's, Keith Green so eloquently sang several decades ago. Being arrogant towards others thwarts the grace of God in our own life and hinders our ability to impact them. How can, we meet, how can we move them towards the Lord if we're constantly judging them? And again, hear me. I'm not saying change God's standards. No, I'm 100% for God's standards of morality and for God's standards of attitude. But we do much better if we learn to speak to them in a way that brings and ministers to them the love of God. They already feel judgment. It also says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. A second trait that I believe Michal had was Michal did not control her tongue. Anyone else ever have that issue? Hands up. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) She did not control her tongue. If she would have just interacted with David when he first came through that door, the text made a point to tell us his desire was to bless his family. In fact... She didn't even let him get to the door. She went out, the text says, to meet him. And what a greeting that was. (laughs) Oh, how the king of Israel. (laughs) She didn't control her tongue. She spoke rashly. Her words were more like thrust of a sword meant to kill and hurt and maim. 
Michal did not have a personal blog at that time. She did not have a Facebook page, a Twitter account, and so forth. She didn't write all that down and broadcast it in a negative way about her husband all over the world, as some people think they have the right to do now, to express their worst emotions about people and other things. And by the way, I don't do any of that. Some of you know that. I've never had a Facebook page. I don't have a cell phone, and I don't do any of that. <laughs> I have seen the destruction. It can cause them good. It's like a mixed bag. Uh, you know, I'm kind of glad Michal didn't have a Facebook page or a personal blog. Can you imagine what she would have wrote that day, and people do that right now? Repent from that. Repent, friends. Get away from that stuff. It's trafe. It's not kosher. It's trafe. She had written a blow by blow of that day, like some people do. David came home at 12:22. I met him outside. I had my boxing gloves on. And he said he was trying to bless me, but no, I know he wasn't. How ludicrous is all that when you think about it? And some foolishly today are doing that very thing, sending it out in the airwaves all over the world. And they're defaming folks. David had to listen to Michal speak in an ungodly way to him. And I believe he responded not in the best way either, to be honest with you. He didn't respond in the best way, but he certainly had his heart right, and we know because the text proves it. His intention was to bless. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11 says a number of things, but one thing it says is, if someone speaks, let him speak God's words. <laughs> Be edifying to those around you. At the very least, this means that the things we say should be edifying before the Lord. It should be edifying to the ears of those who hear us. By the way, I, have you ever met a bad news bear? Have you ever met a bad news bear? Let me explain to you. You know, all bears, when you meet them, that's a bit of a challenge, right? I haven't had the, uh, I, I want to say pleasure, I'm going to use the word opportunity to meet a bear out in the wild, a B-E-A-R, out in the wild. But I knew if I did, I'd have to do some negotiating, I'd have to be careful. Bears are bears. In fact, we have a saying that goes something like, you're such a bear. Why are you being such a bear to me? That's not like a term of endearment. That's like a, a, a way of saying, you know, why are you giving me such trouble and issues? But there are certain species of bears I like to call the bad news bears. And let me describe to you a little bit of what they're like. Bad news bears are people that they never have anything good to say. They are, when you encounter them, they are always on the negative side of things. Now, they could have received a, a 
in, in the mail a check for $100 and their response will be, I thought I was getting 200 Somebody could come and bring them a meal and they think, oh, I was really expecting steak and why did they bring me fish? Bad news bears. You encounter them. I hope we're not that. That we are a people who's grateful for the blessings God gives us. We're people that want to encourage others. We're people that want to bless those around us. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from the Hebrew word tsarot. It's plural, by the way. Troubles. Multiplied troubles. Whoever guards his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. And I want to conclude with a third trait. And there are many more we can talk about. Michal. Trait number three, Michal was more concerned with appearance and perception than the worship and honor of God. Friends, beware if that's how you're flowing and you're more concerned about what people think. Beware. Michal ended up that way. She was more concerned about that type of thing. Worship Worshiping God is, personally, it's important for us for our own well-being in life. We need to be worshiping God. We were created to worship God. And if we don't worship the Lord, our lives will become out of focus. We'll become centered more upon ourselves rather than Him who's the Lord of the universe, the creator of all, as I said at the beginning of this message. And how great are His works. Who can describe the glory of his works? It's just a minor reflection on the glory of him who is all in all. But if we stop worshiping, or we start worshiping something else, we get misfocused. Our lives become centered upon ourselves. And sometimes people will center their lives on other human beings. Please don't do that, whether it's a leader or anyone because ultimately we shall have no other gods before him. He has to be first. So Michal mocked David about how he appeared as he was worshiping. She mocked him. And there were other issues, and we could go to many traits, but I'll conclude with this one, the third one that I mentioned, that she was more concerned about appearances and perceptions than the worship and honor of God. Yeah, it was David in Psalm 5, verse 7, who said this, As for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy, the you here is Lord. I will come into your house, O Lord, in the multitude of your mercy, O Lord. In fear of you, O Lord, I will worship towards your holy temple. And in Tehillim, Psalm 95, verse 6, there's an invitation. Oh, Come. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I love this next statement. For he is our God. Who is your God today? I pray it's him. Because whoever is your God today is the one you're actually worshiping. He is our God 
And the psalmist knew exactly the rationale here. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and we are the flock of his hand. And Yeshua said it this way in Yochanan, John chapter 4, verse 23, but the hour is coming now in is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So friends, here today, Yeshua is Lord over heaven and earth. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord. He's the king of the universe. He desires to be involved in all areas of our existence. The individual level, the family level, the national level, the earth level, the cosmos level, the universal level. In fact, he's Lord over all that. We should do all we can at this time, everything we can to walk steadfastly with him. Do our part. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord because I'm convinced and I'm sure you would agree and we see it on the horizon. Dark hours come, but in the darkness, the Lord is our light. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this day, worship you, King of kings, Lord of lords, master of the universe. There is truly none like unto you. You are the Lord. There is no other. Lord, sweep over our lives. Remove any trait that's like Michal from our lives. Please, Lord, in your mercy, remove those attitudes that are reprehensible to you. Please, Lord, grant us a heart to seek after you as you describe David as one who chases after you. Father, I pray for every person here in these words that you would bless, that you'd correct, that you would guide, that you would provide. Lord, that you give peace where there's this sense of lack of peace. I pray you will help marriages, husbands to communicate better with their wives and wives to communicate better with their husbands, that you'll help families, that parents can treat their children correctly and children can learn from their parents' examples. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the good work you're doing. Thank you that you are able to complete that good work which you have begun in every life, every one of your people's hearts. And we pray that you will usher many into your kingdom at this time. Lolano Adonai, Lolano, Kavod. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place. 
north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.